Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.cooplaxon.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. In today's episode of Soul Talk, I'm excited to introduce you to the one and only visionary, mystic, and best-selling author, Andrew Harvey, the founder and director of the Institute of Sacred Activism. He's written some amazing books, The Journey in the Dark, Way of Passion, Celebration of Rumi, The Perfume of the Desert. Uh, he's also written a book called The Direct Path, The Return of the Mother, The Essential Mystics, an amazing book that's inspired my life about the, about the uh, essential teachings of Jesus Christ, Son of Man. Uh, you are in store for an amazing interview. This man is lit up. He is he is on fire in this interview. So hold on to your seatbelts, take some deep breaths, take some great notes, and let's dive in to some real Soul Talk with Andrew Harvey. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to the Soul Talk podcast. I am really, really excited about my guest today, a man who over the years... Uh, has uh, definitely inspired me with his passion, his brilliance, uh, his insight and wisdom. Uh, his books have really uh, been, a, been a huge inspiration on Rumi and the path of the Christ. So I'm excited to share him with you today. Folks, let's welcome to the Soul Talk podcast, Mr. Andrew Harvey. Andrew, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. What a delight. It's a, it's always a delight to uh, get to spend uh, time with you, and you know I, I I always remember I think it was in 2000 2001 when I first met you in San Francisco and uh, having an opportunity to interview you. Your authenticity and your compassion and kindness has has honestly stayed with me ever since. So uh, it's oh, just thank a, you. A, 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 touches me a real honor. Thank you. A real thank honor. you. You know, I just want to just jump right in um, and uh, ask you some questions and and, Please. and uh, dive dive into your heart a little bit. You know, we're going through some really intense times right now. Uh, the world, you know, I live in the U.S. Maybe there's some folks that live outside of the U.S., but it's an intense time in the U.S. right now. Oh, that's putting it mildly. This is a huge cause of right? change, isn't it? Yeah, huge, huge. Yeah, so I guess you know, for those listening in. Just from your perspective and everything you've seen, what the hell is going on, Andrew? What's ha- what's happening to planet Earth? What's like? Ha- ha- what do you make of this? 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 I don't even know what to call it. We'll call it a crisis. But what do you make of it all? It feels like the world is is falling apart. And so, the world love is your perspective apart. on. Mm-hmm. We're in a global dark night of the soul, and a global dark night of the globe. And it's the most terrifying moment of our human evolution because if we continue to worship the idols of greed and separation and division and violence and hatred, we will not only create chaos, 
but we will create a chaos that wipes us off the face of the earth and takes a great deal of nature with it. That's where we are. Mm. When we elected Trump president of the United States, when we elected a psychopathic narcissist <clears throat> who's addicted to lying and to power as president of the most powerful free nation in the world, as leader of the free world, the Titanic of Western civilization hit the iceberg. And we have only one choice going forward, and that is to try and prevent the rip in the hull of civilization from becoming so wide that the whole ship collapses. I feel the danger of this time acutely, and I'm absolutely aware that we could very well choose out of our addictions and out of our ignorance and out of our bewilderment in the most drastic way to ensure our destruction. But I also know from my own and most mystical experience and from the great testimony of the great mystics that the dark night, terrible though it is, can be the birthing ground of a wholly new reality. It can be seen as the necessary disorder that follows the introduction of a new order to create a wholly new version of that order once it's integrated the darkness. What happens in the mystic's dark night is that all the supports that the mystic has relied on up to that moment, and the dark night happens very late in the path, are taken away. Everything is taken away. Everything that the mystic has relied on, all the devotions, all the insights, all the concepts of God, are removed and the mystic is plunged into great suffering, great absence, great nothingness. And if the mystic has the courage to stay there in peace, in surrender, in profound abandon to the subtle and unknowable will of God, then something amazing will happen. A new kind of consciousness will be born from the old. The phoenix will rise from the ashes of the old. And in that emptiness that the mystic now is, the fullness of divine consciousness will be installed. So our job now, it seems to me, is threefold. Our first job is to face absolutely squarely the horror, dereliction, madness, and potential extreme danger of the situation we are in. And that takes enormous courage, because really seeing it without illusion, without mask, without magical thinking, without sentimentality, without believing that God will just save us naturally, really seeing it is to undergo a vast transformation of consciousness, because it is to become pierced with the swords of the real. The second thing that we really need to do is to plunge far deeper than any of us have ever plunged into our inner self, the divine self that is always within us. Most of us have believed this and most of us listening probably have done a certain amount of spiritual practice. Now is the time to take our search to a one-pointed intensity in which the divine will be able to put us through whatever we have to go through to install a far deeper, far more grounded, far more embodied self. 
because it's only this far deeper, far more grounded and far more embodied self that could possibly give us the strength, courage, peace, stamina and guidance that we are all going to need to be able to navigate what are bound to be absolutely shocking, frightening, terrifying, deeply disturbing times. That's the second thing. The third thing that we all now have to realize is that mouthing sentimentalities about love and unity and joining with all beings and praying for all beings as the new age is so wont to do is absolutely no use at all love has to be expressed in action and action the kind of action that we need is an action born not from panic not from guilt not from outrage alone, but from the deepest wisdom of our deepest self. We need to put sacred consciousness, sacred love, sacred compassion into action, urgent, wise, focused action, and what I call sacred activism, on every level of the world in a worldwide movement of love and wisdom in action. Those three things really are the foundations of our possible survival. And without them being really attended to, we do not have a chance in heaven of getting through what was now unfolding. But by attending to those things, we do have a chance because the divine has decided, it's clear to me, that one kind of humanity is over. One kind of divided, nasty, shadow-ridden, separatist, divided humanity is now over because it's only capable of producing a self-devouring crisis which threatens everything. That means not that humanity is over, but that humanity has to be evolutionarily transformed, has to go to the next level of its evolutionary destiny. And that next level isn't simply a far deeper consciousness of divine identity. That's amazing enough. It's embodying that divine consciousness in sacred love and action that is now required for us. Because what's possible now through this dark global night is a wholly new kind of humanity, an embodied divine humanity, mm-hmm. humbled by tragedy, humbled by what it has learned about itself to be able to work in great humility and great wisdom with God to create a new planet and to create a new world. That's how I see it. And that's what my whole life is dedicated to, trying to help others to see because In my own life, I've experienced the dark night. I've experienced the terror and horror of being totally disintegrated. And I've experienced through grace the amazing consciousness that's installed after that process reaches its fullness. And I've experienced the extraordinary creativity and joy and energy that arise from that new consciousness. And I know for myself that the whole point of that new consciousness that's installed after the dark night is that it should be grounded in real action to really help real people and animals in the real exploding world. So that's where I am. Mm, Beautiful. You know, you talk about the dark night, Andrew, and plunging uh, deeper into the inner self. And so I'm curious, like when you were in the dark night, 
and maybe like in the height of it. Um, what were there any specific things? I'm, 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 I can probably sense that there's probably list, people listening to this conversation that maybe in that dark night, maybe they they don't even know. Oh, it, it, this is a dark night of my soul. They're just going through something, and and they're not even conscious of it. I'm curious, what what did you do? Were there things you did? Were there like how did you work with it specifically in the moment to be able to? shed layers and move through and let go and deepen your connection to source so that you could, I guess, come through the other side? What did you do while you were in the dark night? I think the first question isn't really what did I do? Because Mm -hmm. in a way, what happens in the dark night is that all the old forms of doing are revealed as subtly bankrupt. They're all taken Mm -hmm. away. And what you feel is a complete overwhelmedness and helplessness and shattering weakness and terrible vulnerability to the dark and evil forces that are also present on the earth. So the first question really needs to be, what do you become in the dark night? And how do you work with what you discover in yourself? So the first key is in this great poem by Rumi, which goes like this. The grapes of my body can only become wine after the winemaker tramples me. I surrender my body like grapes to his trampling so my inmost heart can blaze and dance with joy. And although the grapes go on sobbing, blood and screaming, I cannot bear any more anguish. I cannot bear any more cruelty. The trampler stuffs cotton in his ears and says, it is I who am the master of this work. And you can deny me if you want. You have every excuse. But I am not working in ignorance. And when through my passion you reach perfection, you will never be done praising my name. That is simply the greatest and most comprehensively wise poem about the Dark Knight ever written by a a great mystical poet who lived through its full horror and came out on the other side. And what it shows you is that the first thing that you need and that you need throughout the Dark Knight process is to be able to surrender without reserve in complete blind faith to the atrocity of the process which means that you have to allow yourself to do something which everything in you rebels against, and that is you have to allow yourself to be completely overwhelmed, completely broken down, completely stripped, completely seared to the bone. That requires enormous courage and that requires summoning up in the core of your being every experience you've ever had of God's love God's peace God's protection so that you can not discern clearly because you won't be able to God's guiding hand in the atrocious darkness you're plunged into but so that you can trust that just as love has taken you to the dark night, 
love will guide you through the boiling darkness of the dark night. Mm. So that's the first thing. You have to learn how to surrender and abandon yourself totally and allow yourself against everything in you to be overwhelmed because it's allowing yourself to be overwhelmed that over time dissolves all your fantasies of control, all your fantasies of understanding who you really are and who God really is because all of those concepts and dogmas that you have, however brilliant and intelligent, when the dark night comes upon you, are completely rubble so that something that you cannot imagine and cannot conceptualize and cannot possibly know beforehand can slowly through the great grace of the beloved become clear to you. Then, what you need to be able to do is to face that nearly all the practices that you've taken into the dark night, you won't be able to do in the dark night. This is what I discovered. Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to sit in calm meditation because (laughs) I was uh, entirely suffering. And I wasn't able to do Mm. glowing heart practices because my heart Mm. was completely bloody and raw what I was able Mm. to do and this is what saved me was to in any situation that I found myself was to keep praying and it's in my dark night that I discovered the enormous power of prayer the enormous power of just saying in whatever state you are the name of God. For me, I always say the mm. Sufi mantra, la ilaha illallah, the, there is no other God but mm. God. And I just found myself when I could do nothing else, just saying that again and again and again for days and days on end. And mm. it's, it, what that did, I believe, and I, in fact, I would say I know, is that it kept the the rope between my heart and God's heart taut so that I could feel through this terrifying process the tug of love in the mystery. So my advice to everybody going through the dark night, and there are many people, and there will be many, many millions more quite soon, is first of all realize where you've come. And what's important about that is to it's very important for people to have an authentic map. And the map is this. There are really four stages in the divinization process. The first stage is where many people are, is waking up to the presence. And there are many wonderful experiences that happen and many amazing synchronicities that start to dance and dreams that become vibrant and vivid. This is just the first stage. And if you work with those dreams and those visions and those synchronicities, instead of just enjoying them sensationally, if you work with them with the discipline of prayer and meditation and service, you'll be rewarded with an extraordinary experience of unity with everything. It comes in different ways, but in my way it came with seeing the whole world disappear in light and then the whole world reappear in light, but soaked with light. That will lead into the next stage in which the new energies that burn and romp and expand through the light coming into your mind, heart, soul, and body show you what the fringes of the fringes of what a divine life could be like. 
The danger at this stage is that you get intoxicated with these gifts and think that you've reached the end of the journey and become secretly, fabulously inflated. And this is where the gurus are claiming to be God, which is such an absurd and ridiculous position. What then happens is that if you're sincere... And if you're truly looking for union with the Godhead and not for your own private satisfaction or for power or for money or for sex or for fame, if your heart is really set on union at any cost because you've understood dimly, and it's still dimly, that that is the only place where you will be truly fulfilled, then what you're rewarded by is the dark night. And this dark night is actually the greatest imaginable mercy and this is why it's so important to know the real path because when you come to the dark night you won't feel it as mercy you will feel it as terror you feel it as bewilderment you feel it as shattering you feel it as searing you feel it as burning you feel it as helplessness you feel it as overwhelmness you feel it as despair but if you can keep the diagram the map the holy map in your heart mind you will know that you are actually being helped in an unimaginably ferocious merciful way to overcome mm. shadows and difficulties and blocks in you which you don't even know are in you which love knows are in you and which love now mm. is implacably burning away so you'll know that your task is to stay in the furnace, to stay trusting, to stay surrendered, to stay as humble as you possibly can, and to stay as open to the mysterious guidance that will come if you can steady yourself. Then what will happen, and when the dark night is complete, and some dark nights, as mine did, lasted for 10 years, it can be a very long, wow. atrocious process. Well, it, this is not wow. unusual. This is what many, many mystics have experienced, because the secret diseases of the ego, of the false self, are so embedded in us that they have to be burnt out one by one, and they're so intricately interconnected. Once mm. that process has reached its time, then you have a far greater experience of unity because you'll be completely empty. The fullness will then not only be revealed outside you, but be revealed in you. And you will know yourself a light drop of the infinite ocean of the self, a light drop that is also the infinite ocean in a mysterious paradox that nobody can explain. And then you live that life more and more and more. And then you'll realize, and this will lead to stage four, that it's not enough just to live the life of union. That life is given you to birth wholly new possibilities, creative possibilities, possibilities of sacred action. And your deepest mission will appear in you and then take you over and then drive you wildly to pour yourself out wildly and calmly to do and be whatever you can to be a living flame of inspiration and passion and peace and knowledge and wisdom to other sentient beings. That's the map. And that's the map mm. in Sufism, that's the map in Buddhism, that's the map in Vajrayana Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism, it's the map in Shaivism, it's the map. It's the complete map. And that's how the divinization process works. It's, once you get that, and it's a tremendous blessing to even glimpse that, once you get that, once you learn that, 
that gives you, over time, if you accompany that with serious spiritual practice, the fortitude that you're going to need to let God do it in you and God you into mm. your true, essential human divine self. Mm. I love it. I love the, uh, the clarity uh, with which you share. And it's beautiful to see the dark night from a perspective as really, uh, I'm almost feeling... It's the, the the love of God, you know. It's the grace touching yes. our lives to to clear away. It's not necessarily just yes. It is this intense thing, and it's dark and scary. It's not but punishment. Underlying. That's what, not, yeah. That's the key. It's not punishment. That's what I. That's love what you have to get brain. because when you go through it, you mm. feel, oh my God, I'm nothing. It's terrible. I must mm. have done terrible things mm. to be going through this. This is horrible. Mm. God must be horrible. All of that mm. is just the ego chattering. It's not punishment, it's savage grace. And savage my, grace. the book that I've just finished, I love that I love that term. I just like savage I've never heard it put that way, savage grace. Right. I just had to stop there for a second because that was like I really like that word, savage grace. Sorry to interrupt you, but I had to just take a moment with that. Well it's not a phrase, it's the actual it's the it's the most precise description of the process that I can give. And you asked me at the beginning what kind of period we are in. We're in a period of Kali's savage grace. Kali is dancing, and she will destroy us if we don't get with her program. There are four stages of Kali's dance, the ancient mystics tell us, of Hinduism. The first stage is ominous, when you can hear her tinkling the tinkling symbols on her feet. And we've been through that stage. We've had all the information about the environment, about the dangers of capitalism. We didn't listen. That then goes into the dangerous stage in which crises begin to erupt everywhere. We've been through that stage. There have been crises of weather, crises of international relations, crises in capitalism itself, the 208 crash, and we have not listened. We have not done nearly enough. So we're now in the third stage, and this is described by the ancients as the severe stage in which the crises erupt overwhelmingly all around us in ways that seem almost impossible to relate to, to react to without going out of our minds. If we don't rise now to the work of the dark night, to the work of undergoing this great transformation and putting love into action, there is no doubt whatever that we will go into the last stage, which is the lethal stage in which we are wiped out completely. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. And as you look at humanity, do you do you feel going into the lethal is necessary? Do you, do you, I guess, do you have hope for humanity, Angel? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I don't have hope based on anything humanity has gotten up to. I can see very clearly that we are approaching this massive global dark night, deeply diminished in capacity, almost ruined in our sacred connection, hopelessly addicted to greed and the horrors of this capitalist system, 
and polluted by a very cheap and vulgar sentimental spirituality of the new age. Mm. So we are going into the dark night in a very bad condition. And if you look around the world, it's very clear that the dark forces, and this is what the Kogis are telling us and the indigenous tribes are all telling us, have taken over all of the institutions and all of the religions and all of the major media outlets it is a desperate, terrible situation, and it's enough to make anybody believe that we haven't got any chance at all of getting through this. But that's not my belief, because I know at this stage of my evolution that Pythagoras' words are true, and he says, take courage, for human nature is divine. And I know that the dark night process has its own inscrutable, mysterious laws that can lead to transformations that are unimaginable. And I know that there are many, many people on the earth, and I've had the honor of meeting many of them, who have allowed themselves to be shattered and overwhelmed and pierced to the core by what's happening and have discovered through that piercing, wholly amazing powers of endurance, of fortitude, of generosity, and above all, of radical service to radical sacred action. So what I'm hoping for and what I'm working for and what I'm dedicating my life to is helping people see the urgency of the situation, the necessity of allowing themselves to go through this process, holding out to them the inspiration of where the process can end in a life dedicated to putting love into action. And if there are on the earth, and there very well may be, millions of people on the cusp of this kind of journey, and if the map is given to them, and if the map of sacred activism is given to them, as I've tried to do in the hope and as other major teachers are doing right now. I'm not the only one. There are many of us, or at least not many of us. There are some of us who are really helping. If, this, if these conditions are respected, then there is a real chance that the phoenix will rise from the ashes, that a new embodied divine humanity will be born. But Again, we can't rely on this and be passive about this because hope isn't a noun. It's a verb with its sleeves rolled up. We have to participate consciously in this process and we have to claim responsibility and we have to step up together, ragged though we are, battered though we are, and we have to get over our screaming narcissistic selves and put love into action. If we do, in sufficient numbers, with sufficient grace, with sufficient guidance, then the worst of times can be revealed as the foundation of the necessary ordeal that prepares something we haven't been able yet to accomplish or imagine. Yes. Yes. That's the situation yeah, as far as I can put it. Yeah. As you talk, I'm hearing a, a, theme, you know, a theme of surrender and truly being forced to surrender, the savage grace. I mean, surrendering and, you know, surrender can be a scary thing. And so I'm curious to know from your perspective and in your experience, because I, I think there'll be lots of people that ask, well, okay, surrender, but, but Andrew, like, how? How, how do I surrender? Because I think sometimes we want to surrender. We know we should surrender. We read books about surrender where Guru tells us surrender, but that egoic you know, not that tendency that, that, that is just afraid, just holds on. And so 
How? How? Let's just look at human life. Let's look at human life. When you fall deeply in love with somebody, Mm -hmm. surrender to that love becomes effortless because it's so overwhelming and so beautiful and so intense Mm -hmm. that you give yourself to it richly and deeply. So the way to learn how to surrender isn't to try and imagine what surrender is because you won't know. Surrender keeps expanding as humility keeps expanding. <laughs> so what people need to do, it seems to me, and this is what I myself did, and it's, I think, what all of the great mystics that I love and respect have done, is to love God wildly, love the divine with heart, mind, soul, and body. Pour yourself out in love and adoration and praise towards the one. In, by whatever name you know the one, it doesn't matter whether you're a Buddhist or a Hindu or a lesbian acrobat with a tendency towards Taoism. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you realize the truth of Jesus' words, that the first commandment is love God with all your heart and all your body and all your mind and all your soul. That's the key. What that love will do is, over time, give you access to extraordinary experiences, sensationally beautiful, irradiating experiences of the presence. And as you love more, you'll be given deep faith, you'll be given profound knowledge, you'll be irradiated beyond your imagining by the strength of your own secret divine self. So when you come to the dark night, you will know that the presence is real. So when the terrible test of the dark night is upon you, you'll have already learned how to love God. You'll have learned how to love God in the light, and then God will if you let God teach you how to love God in the darkness of the deconstruction of yourself. So it's only love that can lead to surrender and building and, and begging and praying and longing and burning for love will over time give you the inner muscles to be strong enough to love in nightmare. And that will give you the capacity to surrender tremblingly and afraid you will still be, mm-hmm. but you will still know that what you're surrendering to is love in its most paradoxical form. Love as the destroyer of illusion. Love as the destroyer of the mm-hmm. false self. Love as the destroyer of every fantasy that keeps you from being wholly surrendered to love. Beautiful. I'm just curious, uh, you talk about terrible process, isn't it? I mean, it's not for sissies' process. This is, <laughs> that's why I'm so outraged by the stupidity of the New Age, because the New Age tells people, you can, oh, you can be, you're God already. Well, you are God, mm. actually, in the deepest part mm. of yourself. But as the Sufis say, there are 77,000 veils between you and you, and they all have to be burned away for the reality mm. of being a part of God and mysteriously godded can become not just something you read about or think about but something that you live with awe and humility 
So this process cannot be avoided, and the real process has been obscured for people, which is why people are so afraid. But if you know the map, you're not afraid, at least not so afraid. What about, Andrew, just kind of a side question, but let's say someone doesn't, they're listening to this and they say, well, Andrew, I I don't believe in God. I mean, so how do I, I I, I don't have a, if someone doesn't have a connection to God, what do they do? Well, I would say to them, it's time to stop hiding. It's time to stop being ignorant. It's time to accept that you will never understand anything about the divine until you have the humility to open to mystery. All you have to do to begin to comprehend the presence is to open to the possibility that it could be there and then do some of the simple practices that will enable God, who is longing to show God to you, to show God to you. If you don't do that, there's nothing I can do to help you. If you do, or anyone else, Rumi can't help you, Jesus can't help you, the Buddha can't help you, Ramakrishna can't help you, the Dalai Lama can't help you. But if you look at human history you'll see that those who have inflamed the human heart, who have inspired the greatest works of mystical poetry, the greatest texts, the greatest music, have all been beings who have, in one way or another, surrendered to the mystery and allowed the mystery to speak to them. Do you want to be one of them, or do you want to hold on to your essentially ignorant position? That's your choice. Stop fooling yourself. You don't know anything in the consciousness that you are in. The good news is that all you need is to start being humble and open to the mystery and do some practices and read some extraordinary mystics and listen to some great teachers and you will be instructed and you will be guided in your own unique way. That's the truth. And you can face it or you can reject it. But If you reject it at this moment in the world's history with this crisis upon you, what will happen is that you will go crazy. You simply will not be able to have the inner stability, the inner peace, the inner wisdom, the inner guidance that could possibly guide you through a crisis so all-encompassing and all-overwhelming. The great Marion Woodman, one of the feistiest and most brilliant people I've ever known, who was the, who's still alive, but she is the, one of the great pioneers of the feminine in our time. She said, once said to me, she said, look, anybody going into this time without spiritual practice and openness to mystery is like someone going into a forest fire dressed in a paper tutu. It's crazy. Stop <laughs> being crazy. I think people need to be talked to like that. We, we coddle people too much, but I'm not in the business of coddling because I see where we are and I see the possibilities of people truly being transformed by an openness to mystery. I know it in my own life. I know it in the lives of thousands of people. So I say to people who don't believe in God, for God's sake, get over it. Trust the great mystics. Trust Beethoven. Trust Rumi. Trust Jesus. Trust them. Trust those of us, millions of us, who have opened to the mystery and know that it's real and know that it's there for you and open to it. And you'll be guided in your own unique way. Don't 
play small anymore and don't believe this flatline arrogant culture you're in which is where your belief is coming from because look what it's created it's created a complete steaming derelict wasteland filled with crazy people addicted on drugs who can't find any order or meaning in life and who are acting out of impulse and violence and greed that's what it creates sorry to be so insistent but it's the truth don't don't be sorry, Andrew. I feel the, the, the fierce urgency of love moving through as you're expressing. And, but I do well, have this a question. This is the urgency of all of the mystics, isn't it? I mean, yes. once, you, once you've yourself experienced beyond a shadow of a shadow of a doubt, I don't mm. believe in God. I know that God is real. Rumi didn't believe in God. He knew that God was living in every cell of his body. That's what comes through in every line he wrote. Ramakrishna didn't believe in God. He was dancing in and with God in every moment. Once Vivekananda came to Ramakrishna and said, "Um, do you believe in God? And Ramakrishna started to laugh wildly. And then he said, well, do you see God as you see me? This is Vivekananda's question. And Ramakrishna said, oh, God, no, far more intensely. (laughs) So... There have been people, many, many, many people who have lived in the sacred presence and who live in it normally and who know that it's real. Are they maniacs? Could all of these people be lying to us? Mm -hmm. Could all of these amazing people who pour their lives out in joy and service be lying? Or are they showing us the people that you and I and everyone else could be if only we surrendered to the mystery, did the practices, and allowed allowed it to guide us forward? It won't guide us forward unless we allow it because we have free will. But if we of our own free will turn to it in Mm -hmm. trembling adoration and in real humility, it will transform us. That's the truth. Mm -hmm. And why wouldn't one be urgent about that truth if you knew that it's only if millions of people are in that humble state of union and expressing it through linked sacred action that we have any chance at all of surviving Mm -hmm. as the human race. So, Andrew, what about, because I'm, I'm, I'm totally with you, what about, let's say, there are folks who, you know, claim they're in love with God, the divine, and out of the love of God, uh, in the name of God, the love of God, the connection to God, at least they claim, are uh, maybe committing acts uh, of violence or terrorism or hatred or you know racism. Well, they cannot be in love with God. No, you, we just have to see that they're maniacs. Anybody who, well, there's three criteria of people who truly love God. The okay, first is that they, they, if you really love God and have an authentic experience of God. You know you know very little about God, and you'll never know very much about God. You'll know that God is real, because God will be seen and known in you. But you know that what you're coming to know is the fringes of the fringes of a knowledge that vastly surpasses you. So you'll have humility Mm. towards all beings. That's the first criterion. 
The second criteria is that anyone who has ever seen the light, and it's a diamond white light, and it's described in every mystical awakening, in every tradition, so it has, I think, a kind of scientific objectivity, you will know through the light's own self-knowledge that that light is being reflected through all the different paths and all the different religions that are honorable and, mm. and have ancient worth behind them. So you will never, ever be fanatical about the path you take. You'll just know that it's the path that you're meant to take. You will honor and celebrate all the other paths. There will be no dogmatic assertion of your own way over others. And there will be no fanaticism. And the third thing that you will know, and this is something that you will know, is that God is unbelievably holy, unbelievably intense, unbelievably vibrant, unbelievably nourishing, compassionate, unconditional, fervent love for absolutely every human being, every animal, every leaf, every stone. And that you are only loving God when you really try with everything that you are to become universal love in action. That's the third criteria. Mm. So that, if you take those three criteria, you see that anybody who is in any way telling anyone else that their path is the only path must be mad. You'll see mm -hmm. that anyone who's telling anybody else that their religion is the only religion must be mad. You'll see that anyone who is justifying violence and hatred and cruelty on any level in the name of God must be mad. Got it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Beautiful. I'm feeling you. I'm feeling you. I'm curious, what is God? We've been talking about God. And well, if nobody can say what God is, and if you try and say what <laughs> God is, you're trapped in words. What you can say is that God is nothing and everything. That's probably the only possible definition. And Nicholas of Cusa said that the only possible description in words, and it falls short, is that God is a coincidence of opposites. God is that secret unity in which both light and dark dance in different ways to effect different transformations. But even that is an inadequate description. The more you know of the divine, the more you fall silent when anybody asks you to define God, because there is no way that you can say anything in words that doesn't exclude the opposite, which is also true of God. So if you say God is light, what of the dark? Isn't the dark holy? Yes, it is. If you say God is the dance of light and dark, then who's the dancer? If you try and understand the dancer, your mind will go completely crazy because the dancer is dancing with an intelligence, even the angel's capacity to understand. My two favorite words and phrases in the Quran, which is a book I absolutely adore and venerate, is the keys of the mystery are hidden in the hands of the unseen. That's it. 
You're never going mm -hmm. to know completely because you can't until you are one with God in every part of you, until you're in fact annihilated in God, you won't have any idea really of what God is and all the ideas that you come up with, however beautiful, will be limited. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm feeling you. I'm curious. There is a, a couple wonderful, more I've just translated actually mm -hmm. something by a tremendous mystic called Angelus Silesius. And Angelus Silesius was a very weird person of the 16th century, a very interesting guy. And he left these, these extraordinary meditations, which are amongst the most holy and beautiful things that we've ever been given. And if I can find my book, which I know is somewhere, but everything in my life hides from me at the important moments, if I <laughs> can find it. Maybe I can't find it, but he, what he does say is that anything that you can say about God is not God. If you could say it, mm. you would be God. And language mm. is simply incapable of holding the whole mystery. It can point mm. to it, but it cannot mm. be it. You have to go on a, a tremendous journey to find out, and then you find out that you know nothing, and that yes. knowing nothing is being open to all the kinds of different forms of knowledge of God that you will need, but that those forms of knowledge will endlessly expand, mm -hmm. as you do. Beautiful. Beautiful. It's, you know, I have a, a, Sham a said, different you know, sir, It's so important that people Go get ahead, that, sorry. because that's permanently humbling, isn't it? Whatever you think you know about God is not God. It's a part of God, and it'll help you for a while, but it's not going to take you further if you think you understand anything. Your only hope is to remain in a state of radiant and reverent unknowing so that you can be taught more, realizing that the knowledge that you're given will expand infinitely. There's a marvelous story of a Sufi mystic, Dulnun, who's on a beach wondering about just this question, what's God? And he sees an old woman, and by intuition, he realizes that this old beggar woman knows. So he goes up to her and says, do the transformations in God ever end? And she screams with laughter, and I imagine that was the kind of laughter that readjusted his cells, and eventually she says, how could knowledge ever end because the transformations in God are infinite? <laughs> and this is Angelus Silesius. What God is, no one knows. God is neither light nor spirit. God is not beatitude, not unity, nor what we call deity. God is not wisdom, nor reason, nor love, nor will, nor goodness. God is not a thing or a no-thing, nor is God essence. God is what neither I nor you nor any creature can understand without becoming what God is. Mm. That, to me, is it. about as far as language can go. I love it. You know, I have a... I think maybe a final question, Angie. We've shared a lot in this conversation, and I really trust that everyone listening in is being touched, not just on the level of what you're saying, but uh, just the transmission of your heart and your love 
Um, I'm sure that there's maybe folks listening in. We've been talking a bit about the dark night. Uh, but there's also folks listening in that maybe, uh, maybe feel like giving up on the path of life. Um, feel hopeless, giving up, um, feel alone um, on, the, right on the edge of their rope. I would like you, if there's a message you have for someone who is on the verge of maybe they're giving up thinking this life's too much, it's not worth it. Maybe they have a, a vision they've been given truly by the divine, but they just, they've tried everything. It seems not to be working. Maybe they're in a relationship and they're like, I'm out of here, even though they know they need to, to hang in there. Is there anything you could say to that person who feels like giving up? in this moment on the path. They're losing faith. What could you tell that person? You have come to one of the great holy moments of your evolution. You've come to a realization that all your old tricks are now gone, not going to work. Your only hope is to surrender as deeply as you can to mystery. So my deepest heart advice to you is to surrender as absolutely as you can to a mystery that you will never understand. Find the courage to do that. Trust love itself nakedly and beyond reason and continue whether you believe in it or not to say the name of God to pray to open yourself, however badly you feel. And over time, and it will take time, and you'll have to be brave, and you'll have to be strong, and you'll have to hang in there. Something that you've never imagined and cannot imagine now will become clear to you as a pebble in your hand, and you'll be amazed, and you'll be heartened, and you'll be transformed. I love it. I love it. Folks, if you're listening in, I hope your heart is inspired by the words of the one and only Andrew Harvey. Andrew, it's been uh, just a, a joy hanging with you. My heart is touched as always. Just taking well, thank in Thank you for today. your wonderful questions. Uh, and thank everybody for letting me be just tell the truth as far as I know it. And I only I know the fringes of it. No one knows anything much, mm. but this is what mm. I've learned over a lifetime. And I offer it with great love to all of you. May you keep uh, doing amazing work and may God keep touching you and blessing you. What's the best way people can find out about you and your work? And oh, from my website, andrewharvey.com. And if my words have touched you, I think a book that might really reach you now is my book on sacred activism, The Hope, because mm. I think one of the ways in which we all get out of the depression that we're in is, first of all, coming to understand the place we're in, this dark night place which could birth a new humanity, and secondly, doing something for others who are even more desperate than we are. And if you can find something that truly helps someone else and serve animals or serve old people or serve people who are in the homeless or serve those who the Syrian refugees you'll find that even if that service seems hollow at the beginning doing something out of 
deep compassion for someone who is suffering even more than you will have a miraculous effect upon you, will relieve you of your suffering, will take you away from your endless narcissistic regurgitation of your own pain and help you realize that your pain is actually a door into the agony of the world. And when you feel the agony of the world and respond to it, the paradox is that that response heals you of agony and initiates you into the joy that is deathless. Mm. Beautiful. It's perfect. I was just going to ask you to assign a homework, but I think that's a great assignment in terms of finding some, some way to be of service to those in one's life. Andrew, that's thank you for coming on. Me. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you for coming Clinton. on. Thank just you for the work. Sharing, sharing your love, folks. If you've enjoyed this conversation with Andrew Harvey, Definitely check out his website, attend one of his events. He's uh, truly an inspirational man full of love and compassion. Check out his books. We will uh, post uh, a link to his website uh, on the show notes, so just check below on this page. Uh, folks, if you've, been, if you've been inspired by this episode, please share Soul Talk with your friends. I look forward to seeing you and connecting with you more in the next episode of Soul Talk. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.kuplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at Sending you all big hugs and love.